0: Welcome to the family with
1: Alex Brant-Bernard-Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brant,
0: Andy Brant-Bernard,
1: and Cassie Schrader. And if you hear some barking, Jude's here too. It was, it's me. <laughs>
0: you guys are very excited about the change in format of this show. I can tell you're kind of I'm just, re-energized. No, I just
1: all of a sudden woke up. That's what happened. She had, oh, great. She had her
2: <laughs> harvest thins in. from her cult and oh. now she is feeling great.
0: We'll be right back with hour
3: two with the family.
0: Some reconditioning can't apply, so please, no flood cars from Apple Valley. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Chevy, Mazda, or Nissan, check out the new kids on the block. Don't tell them Tom sent you. Just show up and be amazed. That stuff never works anyway. Well, you're kind of in a rock and roll mood today.
4: Well, our guest, Mark, he's like, he's ready to rock and roll, so.
0: Well, that's a good thing. I just want to mention quickly before we get to Mark Perna... That Somebody asked uh, uh, why Chris Domeno is no longer in the KQ Morning Show. He works at a radio station in Atlanta, and they changed his, uh, his hours oh. where he works in Atlanta. And I don't know exactly what it was, if he was on the morning show before and now he's on the after. I don't know what it is, but, yeah, they moved his hours, so the timing of the thing just didn't work out because having 55 people on the air at the same time on any show is not a good idea. So, not, Chris is a great guy to work with. He's a really, really good guy. I met him through Scott. But he's still a nice guy just because God knows him. That's all I'm telling you. But, yeah, Chris Amino a hell of a talented guy and a great guy to work with. But the hours did, didn't match up once they moved his day part. So what are you going to do? Mark C. Perna, ladies and gentlemen, answering why, unleashing passion, purpose, and performance in younger generations. Good luck to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta, I got to run something by you, Mark, just to open it. And I'll, I, I, mostly I want to sit back and listen to what you have to say and I don't think it's it's millennials it's, I think it's everybody getting anybody to finish their work now or do their job in the first place is much harder than it used to be why is that
5: well because we got to get people to buy in Tom I mean the uh, the issue uh, for a lot of young people today is that their their impression of the workplace has changed from previous generations right it's not necessarily a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, what it is is, uh, you know, I, like, uh, for example, you know, Deloitte did a uh, survey of, uh, of young people in the workforce, and that's anyone 39 or younger in the workforce. Uh, it's about 18 months ago. and What they found was that 68 percent of them, uh, females and 64 percent of males, plan to leave their current job in the next three years, um, which is a cataclysmic shift, by the way, in workforce development, considering that these are the largest working generations in our country right now. But the number one reason given was what what is very telling is that the number one reason given was that they no longer want to work in an organization where pursuit of the almighty dollar is the only outcome they want to work in an organization that gives back they want to work in an organization that has purpose they want to work in an organization where the pride of their contribution will add to the greater good and this is what business and industry will struggle with out there because you have to now connect to young people in a way with purpose and answering their why um and it has to far exceed simply making money and shareholder value
0: see that makes total sense to me but can it be done yeah
5: but what are they looking for yeah are what they look, are they looking for yeah. it can it well it can because you have what you have to connect to is some kind of vision what you have to and i don't mean a vision of you know hey we're going to take care of our clients there has to be something bigger an organization is going to have to consider for themselves that their workforce wants to do more than make money. So that means giving back. That means, you know, doing something for the greater good within your communities, within your region, within the state, within a country. And so the more you can connect to some kind of purpose, even if it's contrib- even if it's charitable, even if it's, you know, working with some kind of a, you know, a local agency. There has to be something that connects to purpose in this organization. And you know, I'll give you a great example. In my business, I've, you know, I've got uh, 23 people that support what I do across North America. Over half of them are in the group that we're talking about, and they're the best employees I have by far. I mean, they're the most focused, and they work nights and weekends and holidays and vacations, and I can't get them to shut off, but mostly because they are so focused on how we're going to transform education and workforce development in this country that they're all in. And any organization can achieve this. You just have to determine what is it that you do that that goes beyond simply making money.
0: See, I think that's a. I mean, obviously, that's the way. Well, I assume that most people would want to live their lives that way. But giving back, and you know, Catherine, my wife is uh, is here,
2: Hello. and
0: we together have you know helped out tons and tons of people over the years, and not talked a whole lot about that. So um, I, I wish we could get to the point. The people would, would help out and really not need any credit for it, just kind of do it, and, you know, that's you, the corporation you're working for, let's just do it, and then not parade around going, look how wonderful we are, because I think that people find that obnoxious.
5: You know, you're so right on, Tom, is that actually, um, you know, all the data suggests now that, you know, that that the younger generations and Generation Y millennials and Generation Z coming up behind them actually find offense to people who do it in name only yep you know they they do it because exactly what you're talking about it's almost like man stop putting it in my face that you're doing really good stuff you know they want it to be genuine they want it to be you know kind of a real part of the culture not just part of the marketing campaign
0: no it's um, one thing I will tell you mark though, last week uh, there's a place called the smile network up here in Minnesota and they um, You know, they do great work and all the rest of it. And several years ago, Catherine and I donated a bunch of wine to them. And it was kind of funny because for some reason, the woman Kim, who runs it, announced how much she sold the wine for. And I thought, man, if I'd have known it was worth that much, I don't know if I'd have coughed it up. (laughs) Well, because wine's one of those things. Go ahead, sir.
5: Tom, I clearly have to come up and spend way more time with you and
6: Catherine. I mean, that's...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, that's the great part of that is I look back, and, and, and when you buy wine, it's not really that expensive. But if you hold it for several years, it can get to be very expensive, and we didn't really pay any attention to that. We just uh, donated it. And the fact that all of that went to help people Uh, smile network is uh they travel all over the world mostly in the western hemisphere but they travel all over the joint helping people with things like uh cleft palates things like that it's just uh it's really really great work so if that's what the wine went for and as a matter of fact i gotta tell you there's one bottle that sold for eight thousand dollars and she said one of your bottles yeah but i did Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Hold on. I'm t- Catherine, I'm just telling you. We <laughs> bought it, and I'm not making this up. We bought it for $175 several years ago, and, it's, and it, it, it sold for $8,000. But the great part of it, that is, and this is the part of what you're talking about, Mark, that I love. The woman who, who bid the highest on it, the $8,000, does not drink. And, and she was asked why she paid $8,000 for that bottle of wine, and she said, so I could give it back and you could auction it off to someone else. I mean, that's the yeah. kind of generosity we're talking about She's that you and I love. She's gifting
1: an yep. $8,000 bottle of wine. That
0: is correct. Wow. Because she doesn't drink. Oh. But she just wanted to <laughs> She wanted to do it. and then, wow. You know, she didn't give her name. I don't know who it was that did it. But that's I just nice. think that's what you're talking about. When giving, that's the kind of giving we really like.
5: Yeah, it's got to be genuine. It's got to be from the heart. There's yep. It's got to be, you yep. know, there's got to be some... Again, there's just that, that great vision and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got a great team and, and they, they buy into where we're going together. You know, I, I, I'm a leader that never uses the word I, you know, even though I give 70 keynote speeches a year across, you know, North America it's what we're doing together. It's how they help support everything that I do, everything I do to support what they're doing. And we're all on this mission to get, you know, and and transform educational workforce development. So the more you can get young people to see that, because see, I go the other way with young people. Most Mm -hmm. people out there think young people are this huge challenge to be solved. And I think Data groups all the time. You can't look at them like a challenge to be solved. You have to look at them as a tremendous resource to be unleashed within your organization, your oh, business, your your classrooms. And if you look at them with those eyes, and then understand what makes them tick, how they think, and then how you can connect and engage with them um, using some pretty easy strategies, um, and understanding you know kind of what they're looking for and what their priorities are, um, you can connect with anyone. Uh, you know, 39 and younger. And it's not it's not such a mystery. And, I, you know, everything written about them is negatively slanted out there today. I go completely the other way. I think they're the most incredible generations to come down the pike. I think they're the most intelligent, resourceful and pitbull like generations that we've ever seen. When they a want to in their life, Tom, they will move heaven and earth to get there. Our challenge as parents, educators and employers is getting them to want something. But once they want it, they're all in, and
1: the key is how do you get
0: them to want things? you yeah. know they want beer. <laughs> yeah, <apparently> they want, <laughs> Very they true. want Beer. Or, uh, well, hey, whatever. Hey, works, a, right? a lot
1: of companies, smaller companies, mid-sized companies, they're they're having beer on Fridays <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh
2: yeah, Dan. Yeah, yeah. yep, that's yep, worked.
1: Well, what do we mo- have
0: now, I think, it's kind Mark, of a
2: motivator. I
0: think here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, we now have about seventy-five thousand independent breweries. Yeah, yes. and they're everywhere. Yeah,
2: they are everywhere.
0: But I think they do.
5: 75,000?
0: That's it. I think it's only (laughs) 75,000. The land of
2: 10,000 breweries.
0: But I, uh, I, I, all the ones, as as long as we're talking about that, the small breweries, they do a lot of fundraising uh, and they don't really, you know, hey, you need to know we're raising on. They do a lot of fundraising and people don't even know about
1: it. They do a lot of bike. To, you know, bike, yeah, bike races yep, out of their true. breweries and
0: distilleries. Yeah, that part is really terrific. See, that's great. I, you know, Mark, I think you, you need to stay on tour and talk to people about this because I think a lot of people, because there's always a generational separation. Uh, I was raised by members of the greatest generation, which puts a lot of pressure on people because <laughs> one guy I, I, I just saw, he's 92 years old, and they gave him a, uh, a high school diploma because he never graduated high school, because he was drafted at 16 years old to fight in World War II. So, wow. so he said it was the greatest. He goes, I just want you to know it only took me 76 years to get my high school diploma. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a great thing. That's commitment. That is commitment, absolutely. So they gave him his high school diploma he was very proud of. It. He's 92 years old. Then, then our generation comes along, my generation and Catherine's generation. And we tried to figure out how we could maintain this and and it's,
3: well,
0: our generation is basically when the hippie movement started and all that, and that's some of it good, some of it bad. now we have the next generation, and that would be what gen x um millennials gen z uh gen z, mm-hmm. uh, yep, gen z. it's a whole different situation, and they want different things um it's It's pretty interesting how from generation to generation and what you're saying to us, Mr Perna, is that um Things are looking really good. This is a really good, solid generation.
5: Oh, it's in, it's incredible. You do, but you have to know how to connect with them. And if you okay. you know if you con- you know if you continue to look at them like they're like yourselves, and so these are one of the generational rifts that I I speak about right. all the time. Is that you know older generations think the younger generations are missing the boat, but the younger generations think the older generations are missing the boat, right. and everybody's pointing fingers at each other, saying, "Well, they just don't understand." And the truth is, you're right; they don't understand because everybody grew up in a different time. You know, I, I look at my, my youngest son, who today is 30. And uh, so I grew up in the same generation as you guys. Right. Um, and so my son, who's 30, you know, where a lot of you know, what I teach around the country and, and speak about and wrote in my book, uh, Answering Why, is um, he, he communicates very differently than me. And we have a wonderful relationship. I love him very much. He loves me very much. But we communicate differently. For example, when I write a text message, I will, write a, I will write a text message like I write a letter. There will be a general salutation. Hi, Nick. There will be some kind of something personal. I hope you're having a great day. Mm-hmm. Then there's like the body of the text. And then there's a close. It's like, have a great weekend. Love, Dad. I get back one letter from him.
6: Okay. Yep. and
7: i laugh every, okay. time. <clears throat> I laugh every right. time
5: because he doesn't apparent i mean i i do seven i'll do 70 keynote speeches this year um you know I, my my book has won seven national book awards in the last eight weeks um you know it's a number one bestseller in all its categories and and yet he doesn't have the time to put the o in front of the test <laughs> well that's Frosts me every time I see it. And I'm like, wow. I like, and I just had to come to the conclusion. It's just that he communicates different. I can sit around and complain about it. Uh, more times now I sit around and simply laugh about it. Uh, but you have to understand that this is just the way they communicate. It's the way they were brought up. It's the way communication is different with technology and resources today. And the more you accept that they simply are where they are, but then understand how do you unleash them within your organization or your home or your classroom or wherever, Um, that's when they will soar because they have it within them to soar better than previous generations.
1: Yeah, but that seems to be the big challenge. I was just talking about this the other day with somebody, and we were talking about the fact that I, I feel like my children who are, you know, 30, 32, that their phone skills, you know, it's like you can't call them and get somebody to answer the phone first of all. And then the fact that they really never spent much time on the telephone, even when they're they had you know friends when they were younger, they were they would be texting or IMing or whatever. They weren't mm-hmm. they weren't actually speaking with their friends.
6: I used to talk to Max for like six hours well, a day on the phone.
1: But I know, but you still don't really love to talk on the phone now, do well, you? No, I don't
6: like to talk. Yeah, on I, the phone, I mean, but... I would
1: try to just get them to order a pizza so that they could just do that, and it was always a lot of pushback, and the fact that. I think our generation really values eye contact, and it seems like that's another thing that you don't really get anymore. So it, we, the older generation feels like we have to connect in those ways, personal conversation, eye contact, and they feel like, well, how do you connect with somebody that won't do those things or doesn't feel like that's well. a priority?
5: Yeah. In fact, I'll go a step further. I actually now, whenever I'm speaking with young people, so young people could be in their twenties, um, you know, late teens or mid teens. And when I talk to young people today, I actually start walking them down. How do you create a competitive advantage in your life? And I teach them the simple traits that will work it, which is all the things you're talking about right now, which is how do you make eye contact? How do you shake someone's hand? How do you stay present in a conversation? How do you uh you know communicate articulate and do all these things that are our that are second nature sometimes to older generations mm-hmm. but not so much to current gener- younger mm-hmm. generations yeah. and so i'm now speaking to young people about you know if i give you a great example i was doing a keynote speech and i had i don't know twelve thirteen hundred people in an audience and i was um, and sitting in the first two rows they had um these high school ambassadors from this this really high performing district in texas and i'm in this performing arts center and i'm, I'm i did a 90-minute keynote speech and i was about five minutes to the end and I said, you know what, It's in my mind, I said, I, am, I'm, I want to give something to these kids. And I, and I literally, I looked at them all and I said, how many of you sitting in these first two rows would like to have a competitive advantage in your life, show of hands? And every single one of them raised their hands. I said, here it is. And here, I want you to remember this as long as you live. I said, if you do this, employers will will beat a path to your door. If you do this, uh, teachers will talk to you, after you about you positively after you walk out of a room. And if you do this, you will change the way people interact with you. And they were sitting, they were ready. They were like, like, like this was going to be gold. Right. And I looked at him and I said, do this, show up five minutes early, stay five minutes late and care while you're there. If you do that, you will have a tremendous competitive advantage and you will never be at a loss of work.
0: I think that's absolutely true. That's That's very, very good advice. Really good advice. Mark C. Yeah.
5: And these kids swarmed the stage afterwards.
0: Nice. Well, that's because you're such a captivating figure, that's why. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Well, thank you, Tom.
0: Mark C. Perna, P-E-R-N-A, Answering Why, Unleashing Passion, Purpose, and Performance in Younger Generations. I love your take on it, Mark, and you're doing great work because you're the only one I know that's reaching out to people like this. I think that's wonderful. That's why your book's bestseller, no doubt. Uh,
5: Yeah, Tom, thank you so much.
0: A great pleasure. Mark C. Perna, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with the family. Or visit WhitingClinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save 500 dollars on your LASIK.
3: Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only cannot be combined with any other offer.
7: Yeah.
0: Do 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 do. do, 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 do. Good music today,
2: Ken.
4: I love the 90s. Not that your music every day is
0: like yes, impeccable.
4: Well, well as it's long as it impeccable. like all the channels are working on there and I get all the sound. <laughs> Some of those remastered ones they record oh. it in studio. If you don't have the right cable, it's not gonna because they have it in stereo. So yeah,
6: you need like a T R R R R S. Yeah. Like, calm down. We, we don't need that, that much separation.
0: We'll get that taken care of. You, if that works for you. It's like. <laughs> Ten minutes tops from here. Yeah, yeah it's pretty.
2: Getting to your house from like where we yeah. are is pretty direct because it's just like go north. So
0: yes. about yeah, KQ's problem yeah. is just that it's nowhere it's pretty, near yeah. any highway,
2: and it's hard to get. It's not. <clears throat> yeah, it's not near yeah. any. Two eighty can be terrible. And
4: two eighty, yes.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do two eighty. You
4: don't want to go.
2: If like I can avoid two eighty, I always
0: yeah.
4: will. <laughs> That's
0: the. If we problem. could just
6: replace downtown with a giant open field. Yeah. Yeah, be that's how
2: work. I'm with 169 to them. I'm like, if I can avoid yeah. going on 169,
4: well, our yeah. highway system is so. It is really Well, bad. the problem in Minnesota, during the summer, everywhere you go is road construction. Yeah. In the yeah. winter, yeah. you're dealing with horrible roads. Yeah. So it's like, where we have maybe one week in the spring, mm-hmm. one week in the fall, where. I don't think it's a whole week. <laughs> maybe a Thursday, Maybe yeah.
1: Wednesday, maybe. It's what, okay. what I don't
6: get is why they don't replace the road material. If it, it just doesn't work in Minnesota, and it never has. Yeah, I don't think so there's been a lot of technology else.
1: on new, new road materials is the There's problem. stuff
6: that exists out there that it'll at least last a year. Duh. Because Wouldn't what we use right nice? now every year... Everything cracks because it's not designed for that kind of temperature. Well, it's like we also
1: have, but we have such extreme cold and extreme heat, and then we've got ice and plowing and all that stuff. Fawn calls them lightning.
2: She's like, don't step on the lightning, the
1: cracks in the
3: road. (laughs) The
1: lightning.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh. I know. I
1: mean, 35W, a ramp from a major artery coming from the western suburbs so that you could go south of the Minneapolis metropolitan area. The ramp has been closed for, what, (laughs) Yep. two years? I don't even know. know.
6: Yeah. And then you go down to Florida and like the streets, not even the highways, are like five lanes wide. And meanwhile, 94 to get from 394 to 94 is one lane (laughs) from (laughs) a two lane highway. It's like- it's ridiculous. Why did so they build it that yeah. way? I know. And
1: then our HOV lane is one way sometimes. <clears throat> I know the HOV. And then when they turn it around and you go
2: one way the way out. It's just like so Which, stupid. 394 going into the city is always bad. Yeah. Yes. All of the it time. Well, no matter what. because it's just what. designed. Like, there should always be an HOV. Yeah, like the One exit. lane
6: just isn't enough. One lane the... isn't enough for like going through a neighborhood.
2: And the tunnel's closed half a year.
6: So it's... Yes, it's yeah. true.
2: And they're—I and I don't know—they're
1: expecting another a million people moving in here in the next ten years. Where? How is yeah, everybody going really, to yeah, drive around? I don't know. We're going to
2: turn into like LA. Yep.
6: Well, no, already
1: almost. I hope they get those personal hover crafts <laughs> I mean, going by then. Yeah, there you
0: go.
6: We
2: need to get a chopper. <laughs> can we write off a chopper?
0: Yes, yeah, so that's what you want to do—is get a chopper. No <laughs> doubt about it.
2: Land on top of every building. Yes.
0: An incident in Pakistan last Friday really put the ow into meow. Meow. CNN what? reports Regional what? Minister Shakat Yosefzai was live-streaming a press conference when a Facebook cat filter was accidentally enabled, <laughs> giving y- Yosefzai cat ears, a feline nose, and whiskers. <laughs> oh, that is cool. Somebody did that up cute. for
1: cute. For, yeah, for, <laughs> cute. <laughs> for cute.
0: By the way, unbeknownst to him, this was happening. Facebook Live users apparently chimed in, but Yosefzai... Uh, Kept on uh, on unaware, reports the BBC, his uh, Pakistan Tariq A. Insaf uh, party deleted the video shortly after the president, uh, or the presser, excuse me, cited human error for the mishap and emphasized PTI social media team is deemed to be pioneers of social media in Pakistan. (laughs) Well, that's really nice. We're the pioneers, but of course it doesn't work, but other than that, it's... Yeah, I don't know. This uh, this whole thing is unbelievable. I'm trying to find a picture of him with the with the. Uh, no, they don't have it. They must have taken it down. Oh. Honest to God, they, they turned the guy into a kitty. Kitty. Oh my gosh! That's turn
2: on Jude's, mic.
1: Yeah, turn <laughs> <That> on Jude's <laughs> mic. Jude's, say. Jude's got
0: a mic. Right. That's all we need is Jude <laughs> with a microphone. That'd be really, really. Wonderful. That's like
2: you know that show Superstore that I like. Yes. there's an episode where the regional manager or something is talking to one of the employees and he's like me it's like very serious stuff and blah 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 blah. and the whole time he has puppy he's got a puppy filter <laughs> on and he's like
4: i keep on showing
2: up as a puppy how do i get rid of this
4: thing <laughs> He's
2: like whatever i'll just talk to you just ignore it and she's like yeah i'll do that <laughs> we used to do that
1: facetime fun and have andy put on a filter yeah she'd be like she'd ask for different ones puppy king uh-huh. <laughs> balloon. balloon well now the new
4: thing is is that they have games where on the filters like through
6: facebook
1: oh, where what? you can barely yeah. get the filters yeah. out about, like bubbles so you bad.
6: can pop or something
4: pop or like uh, like it depending on what it is like candy so you have to try and catch the candy uh, and whoever catches the what? most or they have a oh my god who blinks first one so yeah, okay. so when what my
1: that on how do you get to these things? It's on
4: Facebook Messenger.
2: Yeah, like I Yeah, Facebook Messenger. Cuz remember yeah, like I when Fawn I would want to FaceTime Andy, we can't FaceTime oh, because right, he, he is
4: an Android. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll, my my 7-year-old will video chat me through Facebook and I'm trying to tell him, you know, something okay, something serious. Something serious and all of a sudden I get the red light, yellow light, yeah. green light <laughs> and all of a sudden I got things coming at me and <laughs> I'm like turn it off. fun. So, loves she calls it,
2: she says i want to see the funny faces and that's like the instagram filters
4: because
2: mm-hmm. you can just pull it up and look at yourself you don't have to be talking to anybody else and her favorite one is the predator one <laughs> <laughs>
6: that's weird it like really? plays
2: weird music because it's like it looks like a heat cam
6: oh, okay. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's like her it, vision
2: so when you pull it up it says like move to shoot or something <laughs> and like her face and she's like i <laughs> like Oh yeah. Hmm. Hilarious. Dark for a three year old. <laughs> don't know what's going on
1: there. Oh,
0: well, this is kinda of sad. I don't know him really well, but I've talked to him several times and I always like the guy. And it's not about the politics at all. It's not he works for CNN, but that it's not the political thing. He's just a really a really a decent person to interview. It's always been very nice. Gloria Vanderbilt died today.
1: Oh. How old oh. was she? Ninety five. Wow.
0: That's
1: pretty That'll do good. it.
0: What do you think of that? And, of course, Anderson Cooper is her son. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I always
4: forget that he's a man. Why did I think she passed away a while ago?
0: It says here, the poor little rich girl of the Great Depression survived family tragedy and multiple marriages and reigned during the 1970s and 80s as a designer, jeans pioneer. She died Monday at the age of 95. She
4: invented the wrap dress. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I saw you know, I would have thought the same thing, that, but she was ninety-five.
4: I no, I thought. I swear, I thought he was like on a thing, or was it? Was she diagnosed with cancer or something? I remember uh, him yeah, doing a thing no. about his mom. I, I thought know. she was. She dead had too stomach
6: cancer. She was diagnosed earlier this month, so it took oh, her out no, pretty this quick. No, was
4: a while ago. Oh, that's really quick.
6: Well, she's ninety-five. You know. Oh, that's so weird. How About this story and she, with yeah. stomach <laughs> cancer, it's generally. You either get it, get it diagnosed early or you get it diagnosed just before you die. My
1: grandmother, on my father's side, got diagnosed with stomach cancer at something like 84. She had an, op, an operation, and she lived another 11 years. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, she got there it early. Go. That's all that matters when it comes to cancer is catching it early. No matter what the cancer is, if you catch it early enough, so you, you can take care of it. to go to the doctor? Ugh. Yep.
0: Andy, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do the conversion between 1877 and 2019, the value of a dollar. Inflation calculator? Yeah, 1877 Let's and see. then 2019. $1. Uh, I can only go back to. Oh, wait, here we go. Um,
1: yeah, people were paying for things in.
0: Yeah, really. Hay in pens chickens.
6: And, <laughs> in pelts. In
0: furs and pelts. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
2: We were. We, 2000.
0: F- what? Uh. 1877 to 2019, the comparison of the value of a dollar. Uh, well, let's see, a
6: hundred dollars then. Well, that's good. That'll would be, be twenty five hundred dollars now.
0: Only twenty five really? times. So twenty five times, yeah. That's all. I thought that was from eight, like
3: that two. Me. The
0: year nineteen hundred. So this twenty three. Oh, maybe it was pretty stable. You know what? It probably was it, pretty stable back then. Well, and I'm sure the Great Depression took care of oh, a lot of that. Yeah. Um. So basically, <clears throat> twenty five times. Mm-hmm. Yep because he, when he died in 1877, the original Vanderbilt, when he died in 1877, he left a $100 million
3: fortune. Oh. Holy so goodness.
6: let's see, oh. that would be $2.5 2. 2. 5 billion, 2. yeah. $2.5 2.
0: billion, dollars. <laughs> it's like, man. It's a little bit of hard to good.
2: comprehend. Little bit
0: of Not money. bad at all. Uh, so here's the deal, um, and again, the only reason I'm reading it, well, Gloria Vanderbilt's an historic figure, but. Anderson Cooper's mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, the intrepid heiress, artist, and romantic who began her extraordinary life as a poor little rich girl of the Great Depression, survived family tragedy and multiple marriages, and reigned during the 1970s and 80s as a designer jeans pioneer. She died Monday at the age of 95. Here's what I don't understand, though. Because it says here that she married Reginald Claypool Vanderbilt, who was 43 when he married Gloria Morgan, 19, in 1923. But she wasn't born until 1924. So no, she maybe was we not. we have a
1: different Vanderbilt going on. She,
0: he died of liver disease when his daughter was one. And uh, by the way... Her mother was also named Gloria. Oh, oh that's what it is. Ah. Uh, by the way, Reginald Claypool Vanderbilt was 43. Gloria Morgan was nineteen. Ew, oh, child God. bride.
1: Back
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Child bride before getting baby. married at
1: seventeen. Well,
0: uh, 19's not a really times. a child, bride, uh, but, you know. Yeah. Beneficiary well, of a five million dollar trust, Vanderbilt became the poor little rich girl in nineteen thirty four at age ten as the object of a custody fight between her globe trotting mother <clears throat> and matriarchal aunt. The Aunt Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney, 59, won custody of her niece after a maid accused the child's mother of a lesbian affair with a member of the British royal family. Jacques. What do you think of that action? Fancy. Fancy. Vanderbilt grew to become a talented painter, actor, and writer. She also was a fabric designer who became... an early enthusiast for designer denim, Vanderbilt partnered with uh, Mohan Marjani, who introduced a $1 million advertising campaign in 1978 that turned Gloria Vanderbilt brand with its signature White Swan label into a sensation. Sorry to hear that Anderson Cooper's mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, died at the age of 95, because he is a really decent guy.
4: You can tell he adores his... He. Adores, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. a mama's boy for sure. And he
0: definitely was, but...
4: I like Anderson
0: Cooper. See, that's the thing about it. Some people hate Anderson Cooper. I've had him on. He's always been a very, very decent, I'm friendly 100% guy.
1: neutral on him. Yes, Same situation with Tucker all. Carlson. Oh, I hate
0: Tucker Carlson. He's actually a very pleasant guy. You do realize I these people have to funny. put on an act to be that far left and that far right. I well, mean, yeah. It's hope. not really who they are. They're a TV personality. So, you know... Both people, the Anderson Cooper and, and Tucker Carlson, I've told, spoken to both of them many times, and they're both really, really decent people.
4: Yeah, well, they don't have that arrogance about them that a no. lot of the other no. talking yeah. heads do. You right. know, like who's that guy Hannity? Oh, oh I know. God, yeah, he's too I much for me. Like Anderson, you may Look not b- agree with him politically, but right. he just seems like a genuinely like nice person Absolutely. and can comp. You know, you can have a conversation with without. You yelling know, and screaming. Screaming and blowing yeah. your you know head yeah. up and uh-huh. yelling. But, yeah, I, I like Anderson Cooper. I always have.
0: Yeah, there you go. See, I mean, that's the whole situation. And like I said, Tucker Carlson's a very, very smart guy, well, and those, he's a really decent human those being. Those are the
1: people whose careers will last.
0: Mm-hmm. I would think so. if you're
1: too nuts, you, people burn out on it, I think.
0: There you have Except it.
1: Except for the Kardashians. <laughs> Nobody seems to burn out on that. Oh, God,
0: I wish. Where do the fish go? Anyway. I, oh, yeah. What? I don't think I could tell that story.
1: You can't tell that story? Oh, no, yeah, no. I know. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. She
0: actually asked someone one time. She she had never been. This is Kim Kardashian. It is Kim Kardashian. had never been in a frozen state in the winter. Oh, yeah. And she actually asked, where do the fish go when the lakes freeze up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she thought the entire lake froze up, Everybody? not just the surface. The entire lake.
4: Everybody in the state of Minnesota has an Mm -hmm. aquarium in their house. That's what we said. We all
1: get a bucket to (laughs) keep a fish for the winter. (laughs) We all chip in and help.
0: What a story. (laughs) Penn Gillette talks hardcore magic he uses to stay slim. He lost a ton of weight, I know that. 100 pounds he lost. Wow. I don't respect moderation. That's the reasoning magician Penn Gillette gives the Los Angeles Times for both the diet that helped him lose over 100 pounds in just a few months in 2015 and now for the hardcore way he maintains that weight loss. In 2016, the 64-year-old Penn & Teller star explained uh, for Grub Street that he dropped major poundage by embarking on a mono diet for two weeks.
1: What's a mono diet? You eat one thing uh, for in, two weeks? Which in this
0: case meant eating nothing but potatoes. It's all he ate with potatoes. That's because weird. they're funny that yeah. potatoes are funny because they're that's funny. that's what he said <laughs> potatoes are funny he's
1: sounding stranger and strange then mm-hmm. he switched
0: over to a whole food plant-based eating plan i ah. went for a radical change that now tells better. time easy is your enemy that initial weight loss attitude has since transferred to his current maintenance routine fasting 23 hours a day you know what i do oh, understand wow. that because i've talked to you about this before if i eat breakfast it makes me hungry no matter how much I Intermittent
1: fasting is like been around big time for about six or seven years. And people still yeah. are just hearing about it, which is interesting.
4: And mm. well, it can is.
1: just be you just don't eat after 6 p.m. Right. Yeah. And you don't eat until 7 a.m. in the morning. That's all. So just so you're not doing that nighttime snacking
0: or whatever. Indeed. Yeah. oh, The we'll, highlight
2: of my day. Exactly. Nighttime snack.
0: <laughs> we'll be back with the family.
5: If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick
0: a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Hi, it's Tom. After achieving my goal of losing 92.5 pounds in less than five months, thanks to the Sheehy brothers and the amazing staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I'd like to encourage you to to let Nutrimost help you shed those unwanted pounds too. Besides eating fresh foods, another one of the reasons that the Nutrimost Weight Loss Plan works so well is the one-on-one coaching that you receive. We all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, how long have you been trying to lose weight on your own without the help of a coach? When you have someone keeping you accountable, it makes achieving your goal so much easier. Make a commitment to your health and let Nutrimost help you with your weight loss journey. I encourage you to schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, June 24th at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Call now, 763-333-7337. <laughs> Cassie's rocking out today, that's all I know. Ladies and gentlemen.
2: I saw Rocket
0: Man. Okay, we'll talk about that after the guest.
2: Oh, yes, sorry. It
0: would be wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Here's the Catch, A Memoir of the Miracle Mets and More. Ron Swoboda, how are you, sir? Um, I'm good. How about
7: yourself?
0: Everything is going really, really. Well, now that you're here, it's even better. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I was a... Close enough. I was a te- Yeah, exactly right. I was a teenage boy when you made that catch and I'll never forget it. In time for the 50th anniversary of the Mets' miraculous 1969 World Series win, right fielder Ron Swoboda Ron Swoboda tells a story of that amazing season, the people he played with and against sometimes at the same time, and I do want to talk to you about that because that I find fascinating. What life was like as an everyman ball player. Ron, I tell you one thing, you might have been uh, you might have considered yourself an everyman ball player. But nobody's ever going to forget the name Ron Swoboda. I will tell you that.
7: Well, it's kind of you to say.
1: Even I know your name, yeah, and I don't know Mike, anything. Um,
7: I, I did feel like a guy who was lucky to be involved in all of that, and um, you know, um, you can look at my career numbers and know I was I was just one of the guys, and and um, and most most championship teams are mostly just guys with a few impact players like. Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman pitching for us back then. And Don Clinton and playing first base, you know, we, we had a couple of impact players. Cleon Jones almost led the league in hitting, but the rest of us were just guys out there scuffling, trying to be the best we could be. And in the doing of that, we end up winning a world series.
0: <laughs> yeah. The whole thing, I tell you what, you just mentioned, uh, the Kuz as we called them, he ended up uh, pitching for the Minnesota twins down the road loved watching Jerry Kuzman pitch the people of Donnie Clendenin you were talking about you're talking about Tom Seaver. a hell of a team now you, you, there's a reference here and here's the catch by the way great great title for a book about a guy who made the catch
7: well, my wife my wife Cecilia came up with the title because we were just you know we knew it had to have something to do with this catch and the catch as best part of 69 for me but but there was more, and 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 she said, "Well, how about here's the catch, which suggests there's a little bit more." And I thought that was right on the money. And as soon as she said it, I went, "That's it."
0: No, I think it's a great name. So give her the tip of the cap for me later on today, if you think of it, Ron. Okay, because that's a great name, no doubt. Here's well, the catch: you. a memoir, the Miracle Mets, and more. I like the reference here when it says uh the people he played with and against sometimes at the same time uh our minnesota twins in spring training i watched him in sp- spring training this year and i said before the season started i like what i'm seeing here And I think the reason I said that, I know the reason I said that is because those guys seem to really enjoy being around one another and they enjoyed playing, they're playing baseball together and hopefully that'll hold together because they've had the first half of the season has been phenomenal for them. Almost the first half anyway. And, uh, yeah. Um, go ahead. No, I just, I I tell you, looking, you
7: were reading something, but you also, you know, you have to have the quality, you know, you have to have some talent there, um, uh, but when you're lucky and you have a little bit of both, you have talent, you have people that seem to want to get along and, and be a part of this thing. And, 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 you know, everybody's, everybody's about the quality of baseball. And, you know, like the 69 Mets, there was no black or white, um, uh, conservative liberal. There, there was none of that. All it was, was a bunch of guys running out there trying to play the best they could play. And, uh, and, and um, it worked pretty well for us, but it worked because we had some pretty talented guys and we got better as the year went along.
0: Ron, I am a huge baseball fan, have been since I was nine years old. The Twins uh, moved from Washington to Minnesota. And I do remember this, and I, I think you'll really enjoy this. There was a kid came out of Harvard baseball player, he was drafted by the Twins he came and played for the Twins for a short time, and apparently was kind of a, he kind of considered himself above everybody else in the clubhouse which Tom Kelly as a manager was not wild about, and I do remember when somebody asked him when this player, and I don't want to name the guy but as he was about to leave somebody asked manager Tom Kelly of the Minnesota Twins, well what about this guy and Tom Kelly on the radio said, yeah, well, boola. bula, bula <laughs> I thought that was phenomenal. <laughs> it's like get along with everybody else or go away. That's a huge thing yeah, in the room. I, you know,
7: because a season of 162 games is full of little moments, and and whether you're a superstar or or just one of the guys like I was, you, you know what you can you can you can make something happen in one of those moments that's important uh, to winning a ball game, and, and and so you want everybody tuned in. And feeling like a part of this thing. And Hodges had a way of doing that because he platooned at four positions uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Art Shamsky and me in right field. Uh, Don Clendenon, who came over in the middle of June, uh, was a power hitting first baseman, platooned with Ed Cranepool. Ed Charles, our, our wonderful statesman and uh, third baseman, he was there with Wayne Garrett. And, um, you know, Kenny Boswell, a Texan at second base, was platooned with Al White. So we had lefty-righty working at those spots um, on a regular basis once this team got rolling into the second half.
0: You know, Ron, as I said, I was nine years old when I became a huge baseball fan, and I have been ever since. I I live and die with the Twins, uh, but I watch a lot of baseball anyway. The game itself to me, Ron, is very, very special because you not only – people don't realize this. In football, you play offense or you play defense, in basketball, you just play offense because nobody plays defense in the NBA, <laughs> and you have your defensive well, that's players. Not true. It's not <laughs> he true. goes, "Well,
7: that's not true. It is not true." All right, all right. These guys are so skillful and 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 and, and graceful with the ball yeah, yeah. that it's very very difficult when 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 they can move the ball out to three point range and the three pointer has become part of the game. If you can't shoot threes in the NBA, you can't play, yeah, you can't yep. win. So so the offense is clearly ahead of the defense, but there's a heck of a lot of hard defensive work being done out there that isn't appreciated.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Why? matter of fact, I know you're right about that. But baseball –
7: Baseball, hey, yeah. did you ever think about this, Tom, that uh, baseball is the only game where, uh, of the major sports where the defense has the ball –
0: yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty amazing it's defense. Cool. Yeah, defense has and the ball. There's no
7: clock running. It's 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 you know baseball is resolved by circumstance. Uh, there's no clock running.
0: Ron, I will tell you, many years ago, uh, as a matter of fact, it was uh, God, eight, 1987, the first time the Twins won the World Series. But it was that year going in that nobody knew they were going to win the World Series that year. But I, uh, I was invited to come down for batting practice. And they said, do you want to just stand in and see what it's like to face a major league pitcher? And I said, not really. And they said, well, you got to do it anyway. And I, I remember, Ron, I'm a right-handed hitter. Well, I, I'm a right-handed swinger. I shouldn't call myself a hitter because, you know. But he threw a pitch, and I bailed because it looked like it was going to hit me right in the head. That ball ended up about three feet outside. It was one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me. How you got
7: pitcher again? Ron Davis was the pitcher.
0: It was Ron Davis. Yep.
7: Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. His uh, his son played for the Mets for a while. Yeah, first baseman.
0: That's exactly. Um,
7: Yeah. Well, um, and there were better curveballs maybe in the game. Oh yeah. About that. Oh
0: yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, if you stand in there, if you think, oh, anybody could hit that. No, you can't. I'm sorry. You might think you can. Well, but... you,
7: you know, you read it as best you can, and yes. you try to – you don't swing it where it is. You swing it where it's going. Yep. And, and, and if you know, you, you've got you to gotta learn how to track that thing differently than a fastball.
0: No, I, just all the things – I think maybe uh, – I'm hoping a lot of people do understand that catch you made – was incredible it saved the world series there is no question about that uh, i, I the, the the ability to hit to be able to, the ability to throw the ball a long way from the outfield to run uh, balls down to do all these different things it takes superior talent i mean supreme talent to play in the major leagues so when you say no matter who's ever played if you were on a team more than uh, you know a few months you're a hell of a talent, don't you think? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you still got a lot of talent, right?
7: Um, you know, I I took a lot of pride in playing in the outfield, um, and, and through most of that sixty nine season, Gil Hodges used to put Rod Gasper, who was who was one of our, our, our backup guys, and he would put him in as a defensive placement for me in right field. Oh god. If we were ahead in the ball game and, and man that just drove me crazy. <laughs> And I just took, I, I just took thousands of line drives and ground balls and left and right over my head, hard to catch balls uh, off the fungo bat of Eddie Yost, our third base coach.
0: Oh, God. Uh,
7: about 150 feet away. So he wasn't that far away from me. But the point was I was working on my – getting a jump on the ball, reading the ball off the bat. And more than anything – making that good, accurate, early read off the bat with Eddie Yost. So I felt like I had gotten better, and I was trying to prove to Hodges that he didn't have to make that defensive change. Right. And before the end of the year, I had convinced him to leave me out there, and I felt like I had done something.
0: Well, the amazing thing is, you made the greatest catch in Met history. There's no doubt about that. And your RBI clinched the final game. That's a pretty damn good run there, Mr. Swoboda.
7: Well, I felt that was another thing about Gil Hodges, who had as adroit a baseball mind as I was ever around. And I did get to play for Gene Mock, who a lot of people felt like was a genius um, uh, in handling a baseball team, in managing a major league team. Hodges, I felt like, was just as sharp. uh, And and when Gill made decisions, uh, he made them in a way that they were clear and uh, unambiguous to you as a player. So I felt like that. And if you were hot, If you were hot with the bat, and I was swinging the bat pretty good in game five, um, Hodges would go with that. He would go with hot uh, against the percentages of me batting against the right-hander, Eddie Watt, out of the pen, sort of a low three-quarter almost sidearm guy who was pretty tough on right-handed pitchers, kind of a sinker-slider guy. And uh, we had Shamsky on the bench uh, who could have gone up there and pinch it when I was up there. But he didn't do that. He let me hit. And, I, you know, I I lofted one down the left field line that uh, the Orioles' Don Buford might have caught, but he didn't, you know. Unlike us, who, after I let Buford's ball get over my head on the first play of the World Series in Game 1 in Memorial Stadium, I let a ball get over the fence that should have been caught, I felt like. We caught everything else, and Buford didn't get the mine. And uh, I, I drive in, you know, it goes for a double, and I drive in the go-ahead winning run on, uh, in game five. So, so Gil went with hot, and that's what he would do. You, I think today with all this analytics in baseball, that's the one thing you, you can't lose sight of as a manager, is, is that when a guy's hot or when he's not, it skews the percentages one way or the other, and you got to go with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I got a very quick Gene Mock story for you. When Gene was here uh managing the yeah, Minis- yeah. the Minnesota Twins. Well, he
7: was Yeah, he was the Twins manager
0: in 69. There you go. And uh, so we're at the game, Our, my seats are in the second row right behind the Twins dugout. I'm
7: wrong about that. It's Billy Martin.
0: Yeah, Billy sorry. Martin. Yeah, Billy Martin was, yeah. But Gene was yeah, a little bit Yeah, Gene Mock was a middle uh, mid, mid to late 70s actually. But that's cool, yeah. But Billy yeah. Martin was another great one. But I'm sitting behind the dugout in my seats. I'm in the second row behind the dugout, and Gene, uh, this guy down the down the aisle, felt that that uh, Gene had left uh, the pitcher in a little too long. He gives up uh, the guy Jack's one gives up the home run, and Gene goes to pull him out of the out of the game and replace the pitcher as he's coming back to the dugout. A guy's yelling at him, "You left him in too long. Way to go. You left him in too long, right?" Well, at that point, Gene yeah. decided that he his forehead itched. So he scratched the itch with just his middle finger, if
6: you know what I'm saying.
7: <laughs> it was
0: phenomenal. I loved it, Ron. I absolutely loved it.
7: Uh, well, you know, it's, it's the little things that count.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I tell you, Ron, honest to God, I've been a fan for a long, long time. It's an honor to talk to you. I Nobody loves baseball more than I do, man. I just love that game to this day. Oh,
7: that's great. Well, it sure sounds like it. And, and you know what? Even with all the changes today and the way they're sort of sissifying the uh, plays, you know, (laughs) double plays at second base. And, and, oh, you can't run into the catcher uh, because uh, they're too valuable to hurt. And, you know, things that I really disagree with, it is still the best game. It is still played by the best people in the world at the major league level.
0: Love it, Ron Swoboda, ladies and gentlemen. S W O B O D A. Here's the catch: a memoir of the Miracle Mets and more. What a what a great time, Ron. Thanks for the for the great conversation, sir.
7: Oh, you're welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me on.
0: The books available everywhere, right? Yep. There you go. Well, yeah. he, well no, he, no, he had to go. We went to yeah. about twenty seconds too long. Oh yeah, as producer. Uh, you got a guy here won the World Series. Yeah, he's won, a big, right? deal. big deal. Big deal. Guy. Humble as hell. See, that's what a lot of athletes these days need to look back at is like humility's a good thing. Just well, a Well, The guy.
1: problem is is that when they're in in it, they get cocky.
0: Yeah. Because they you just know, start I out, that. they the,
1: finally get into the major leagues, they're excited, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm in the major leagues, and everybody's worshiping the ground. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's very true. Thanks very much. We will talk to you tomorrow with the family. <laughs>